Romans chapter 10. So last week, really, we needed to, before we go into, our verses are 5 through 11, and he's really a continuing thought had occurred. Well, actually, Romans chapter 9 through 11 is Paul dealing with Israel. If we're justified by faith, and Abraham was justified by faith, and the Gentiles are justified by faith, then what advantage does Israel have? What about Israel? And one of the things we see Paul do, even in our Acts, uh, in Acts we are in chapter 22, it's the end of his third missionary journey, and he is there and he's going to be persecuted by the, the zealots, the Jewish zealots. Um, even then we see that Paul, when he wrote Romans, he was, he was writing Romans from Corinth towards the end of his third missionary journey. And we see that he is now dealing with the zealots of the law. And it's interesting that he is writing this and we see the love which he has towards his brethren according to the flesh. Even though that they consider him enemy number one. I mean, they're coming after him. He still loves them and he still desires them. And there is so much principle for us to learn here that we should be concerned about those who reject the gospel. We should want to see people saved. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 1 says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now think about that verse for a minute. What does that verse say? It says that they're not saved. His desire was that they be saved. And one of the things that he is really coming, that's, that is his heart. He knows they're not saved, but they don't know they're not saved. And how many times do we see this? People will just have a false hope or they will put all of their hope into religion. They'll work their whole lives. They will... Uh, work their lives to what they think they're laying up treasures in heaven. They did it, their dad did it, their granddad did it, and they have sacrificed so much of their life to, to send their kids to this religious school, and, and they didn't have the money to do that, but they are so determined that righteousness comes from performance and self-value that try to tell them they're not saved. You're not as safe as you think you are. And so that's not a message that they particularly wanted to hear. But see, now look at all the fours. There's four fours in verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Now I'm going to break these down a little bit more. But as a recap, one of the things that we know that Paul is preaching here is that the Jews were ignorant of the righteousness of God. Now, were they ignorant that God was righteous? No. 
If any group on earth knew that God was righteous, it was the Jews. They knew the character of God was righteous. What were they ignorant of then? They were ignorant of God's saving righteousness. In Romans chapter 1, verse 17, Paul establishes all throughout here, and it's really good to, to understand this truth very early, and he gives it to us very early. In verse 17, well, look at verse 16, chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein, where's therein, the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Not only is that righteousness revealed, because it, it can't just be a demonstration. Otherwise, the end of that verse wouldn't make sense. It, it just can't be God is demonstrating his righteousness, and he did at the cross, but he's also providing his righteousness. And therefore, the end of verse 17 now makes sense. It's, it's two ways. God is demonstrating his righteousness. He's he offer all the sea, and he's providing it through the gospel. Because at the end of verse 17, the just, who's the just? The just are the righteous. The one who God deems righteous because God is providing it by his power, not by men's works, but by God's prerogative, his sovereignty. He bestows righteousness. And how do we be right? Or how do we become righteous? It has to be by faith. It's not an inward work of, of complete righteousness, which God does. So that's what, end of verse 17, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. They have to live by faith. And we're going to see this again when he contrasts the righteousness which comes of the law versus the righteousness of faith. Because he says, Moses said this, and he said it in Deuteronomy, those who are after the law of righteousness, they are going to live in them. And then funny and interesting how at the end of verse 17, the just shall live by faith. Now, before we get there, and we will, there were a few things that we saw in verse 3 that, uh, that Israel were ignorant of. They, they were without knowledge. First of all, they were without knowledge of the saving righteousness of God. Two, they were ignorant of their own depravity. Three, they were ignorant of the perfection which God requires in the law. So, at, look at verse, or chapter 9, verse 32, says, Wherefore, well, the... Paul had asked, or asked this question in verse 31, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Verse 32, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith. And what did he establish in chapter 1? How, how are the just going to live? How, how are the just not only going to live their life now, but how are the just going to live eternally? By faith. There's no other way. And so, it, it's interesting, here, verse 32, wherefore, because they sought it not by faith, they did not reach the righteousness, 
which God requires. He says, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. And last week, if you remember, we looked at that, and this is a, a beautiful study here. Why did the Jews stumble at Jesus? Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And this really opened up to us last week, and I want to keep this in our minds. So maybe after talking about it two weeks in a row, it'll stick, and we'll, we'll have it in our minds. But I love this. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made... Now... If you underline your Bible, do, any, uh, do anything in your Bible, that word made. We're, we're going to look at this word made. Who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That word made is genomai. That means to bring into existence what was not there before. That's the word made. So what did God bring into existence that was not there before? He tells us wisdom, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. God had to provide a righteousness for us because there was no righteousness there before. <laughs> We, we cannot, there is no saving righteousness apart from God providing it. There's no righteousness there before him. Now look at Romans chapter 5 verse 19, and I want to make this, this distinction. It's very important in Romans that we understand the two definitions of this word and when to use the right word. Because this is where the Catholic church will trip up the teaching and they'll, make you, they'll start teaching one thing and try to make you believe one thing or the other. Now, chapter 5, verse 19, we're going to look at this word made again. Now, in 1 Corinthians 1.30, we saw that it was genomai. To bring into existence wasn't there before. God had, it doesn't say God created Jesus. He didn't, it didn't say God created Jesus' righteousness. God had created the righteousness for us because there was none that was there before. But look at chapter 5. Uh, verse 19, and this is a big one. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made. There's that word made. Sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Now, what word is that made? It's not genomai. It's kathistomy. Kathistomy means to declare. It means to announce, to judge, to assign. Um, like if I were to make you sit down, I'm assigning you a seat. It is a declarative thing. It's talking about uh, imputation, righteousness being imputed here. Verse 19, so let's read it with that definition of made. For as by one man's disobe disobedience many were constituted declared, announced sinners by, so by the obedience of one shall many be made, declared, constituted, announced righteous. So 
God is not infusing the saving righteousness which he requires in us. All of the saving righteousness and the value and the worth all are in Christ. God made righteousness to appear for me, not in me. He made it, he genomide, he made this righteousness where there wasn't there before, but when he, but through the obedience of Christ, many will be constituted, declared, announced righteous. So it's a beautiful difference here between these two words made, and I think it would go a long way towards us. Now the Catholics teach that uh, justification by faith is a process. Because justification requires perfect righteousness. So what they say is God is infusing perfect righteousness in us. And so we, we haven't reached perfection yet. So justification must be. And it's just amazing to see you know, how one error will cause a multitude of errors. And I always love what Brother Hunt said. The doctrine of God is one body. It's one body of doctrine. Actually, when you read doctrine, it's in the singular. When you read doctrines, plural, it's always the doctrines of the devil or of men. But God's doctrine is one doctrine. It's a body of truth. Now, if you detach part of that truth, like if you were to detach my arm from my body and lay it over there, well, pretty soon it's going to start to stink. And it's going to start to putrefy. And you're going to be able to notice there's something wrong with that. And many people will take part of the doctrine of God, take it apart from its body, and make it say in whatever they want it to say. But the doctrine of imputed righteousness, it must be all within the context, all within this body of truth. Now, why did the Jews stumble? Why did the Jews stumble at Christ? Because Jesus had accomplished what their goals were that they never would be able to accomplish. Jesus has done what we cannot do. And so therefore, God imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so they wanted to overcomplicate it. So they were ignorant of God's saving righteousness, verse 3 and so they were going about to establish their own righteousness. They've not submitted. And that's what salvation is. It's submission. I have a desire for Israel that they might be saved. If you have that desire for your loved ones, your family, or for people in your life, that you have a desire for them to be saved, you can almost um, take these four fours and you can evaluate, okay, what are they trusting in? They have a zeal of God. Well, maybe they are religious. They have a zeal for him, but they don't have the knowledge. In verse 2, um, you know, and that is Paul bearing them record. I believe Paul could personally relate to their zeal because Paul used to be a Jew. A fair, well, he was still a Jew, but a Pharisee of the Pharisee. Verse 3, they're being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves into the righteousness of God. There's submission again. 
For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. Now, this is a rich verse here. I believe that this verse is not just in the judicial sense that Christ is the end of the law, but it's also the experiential sense that we do not serve the law. We do not have fear of obeying the law because Christ is the end of the law. Now, we still have guilt. We still have lingering guilt. And honestly, when we have that guilt and we've not surrendered that to uh, Christ and asked him to forgive us, um, it's unbelief. If we're still feeling guilty about sin that we've created in the, or made in the past, and you have already committed it to Christ, believing that he has forgiven you, it's a form of unbelief that he's not. We're, we're to move forward, look forward, and then tomorrow there'll be something to repent of and ask him to, him to forgive you. Now, we learn from our past, but we don't, allow, we don't live in our past. And so we see that this verse 4 is not just judicially, it's experientially. I, I like this paraphrase. If you read this with me, verse 4, Christ is the end of using the law to establish one's own righteousness for those who believe. Christ is the end of using the law to establish one's own righteousness. For who? To those who believe. Because if you are not in Christ, you're still condemned by the law. And verse 5 for Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Now we're starting to get into the verses that we're supposed to get into the day. <laughs> We've got about 10 minutes maybe or so. Uh, but, you know, I, I always take two steps uh, forward, one step back. Uh, we'll get there eventually. But Paul is expounding on verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4 is a big one. He's telling this to the Jews. Christ is the end of the law. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. Notice the comparison which we saw in 117. How shall the just live? The just shall live by faith. So not only, I mean, he's quoting Deuteronomy, and I love what he's, he's doing, and he's quoting it all down through here. But you don't have to turn there. But in Leviticus 18.4, the Lord says, Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. Same thing in Nehemiah. Which if a man do them, he shall live in them. Galatians 3.12 says, And the law is not of faith, but the, law, but, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. So when he says in verse 5 that the man which doeth those things shall live by them, it's not just a live now by them. I mean, they had to obey the law perpetually, all the time, universally, perfect, 
personally, it's, it wasn't out of love, it was out of obligation, it was out of duty to keep the law. But if the law could have given anybody eternal life, if, if, if anybody could have kept the law, the law would have given you eternal life. If you had been able to keep all the law. Okay? So, the man that does them shall live in them, meaning they, they have to stay pure, perfect, and they will live eternally. But we know that no person, nowhere, at no time, has ever kept the law of God to the point where they could live by them. So, the scenario here is, Paul is bringing out this complication that the Jews were insisting on. A lot of people insist on complication in religion, don't they? And it doesn't have to be complicated. Not only complicated, but impossible. Verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, who shall, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. So here is the complication that they were bringing into salvation. It's interesting that he uses Deuteronomy chapter 30. If we had a little bit more time, we would turn there, but especially Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 11. Uh, he talks, of, he, he's actually quoting this. And at the time, it was Moses telling the children of Israel, you don't have to go on some big giant quest. You don't have to do some feat of strength. You don't have to do something far away to bring the truth to you. It's there. It's already there. And Paul is using what Moses had said. He said, it's in thine heart. And Paul right here is saying, he's inserting Christ here, the Messiah, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh. Now let's stop there. Speaketh. So let's put our mindset. What does the righteousness of faith say? What does it say? It speaketh on this wise, say not in thine heart. Where does it start? It starts with your heart. Yeah. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? What is the heart that's saying that saying? The heart is saying, what must I do? How can I earn? How can I earn the righteousness of God? How can I earn favor? What can I do? That's the heart that says this. So say this. Don't say this. Who shall ascend into heaven, which is impossible, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead? But what saith it? What's the what? The righteousness of faith. In verse 6, the righteousness of faith says this, The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. Now notice how many times he goes with heart-mouth here. 
He's, he's going to go on a theme of heart mouth, heart mouth. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So he gives us a solution to verse 1. He gives us the problem in verse 2, 3, and 4. He gives us how people are complicating the gospel in verses 5. The impossibility of obtaining favor with God by what you do in verse 6 and 7. It's, you, they're overcomplicating it. It's not some great quest. The word is already nigh thee, even in thine heart. So he tells us what not to do in our heart, and he tells us what to do in our heart. What not to do in our heart is try to figure out how you can gain favor by what you can do. What you do in your heart is rather you believe and you submit yourselves into the provision of God, how he has given salvation and all the worth is in Christ. At the end of the day, if we're not looking up at Christ, there's something wrong. If your eyes are on yourself, there's something wrong. And so not just saving righteousness, but practical righteousness and sanctification and all other things. It's so great and so important we get this part right as far as who do we praise. Verse 10, for the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's the consent of the heart will move the consent of the will. The, they both consent. And how many times we're told not to have, you know, there really it should not be a closet Christianity mentality. If you believe with your heart, you're going to show your heart. You, you all can come in and sit down if you want. You're going to speak with your heart. And that's what he says that we're not ashamed, verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And there was the comparison and the contrast of verse, chapter 9, verse 30 and 31. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Wherefore? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were the, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. So the Jews stumbled at that stumbling stone. Um, I'm going to wrap up here. One of the things that in verse 11, it might be easy to miss, is he quotes the prophets. Verse 11 says, For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. He, the gospel is according to the scriptures. Jesus was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures. The message of the gospel is not new. 
It's not alien to the Old Testament. It is according to the scriptures. Paul is quoting the prophets. He's not asking the prophets to turn their back on the the teachings of the Old Testament. The teachings of the Old Testament all pointed to Christ. They all pointed to the new covenant. Now here's the thing. God gave an old covenant and God gave a new covenant. No one was saved in the old covenant. Remember what he said? If you want to obey the law, you have to live in them, do them perfectly, perpetually, uh, without any mistake, and that's impossible. And not just impossible, but it's very complicated. I mean, there was a lot more oral law than there was written law that they had to, to, to live by. So, they were, the people of the Old Testament were not saved. There were not two ways to be saved. God gave the Old Covenant and said, here, you do this and you shall live, and they didn't. They couldn't, of course. But there still were people saved in the Old Testament. How were they saved? How was Abraham saved? By faith. Because God had purpose to have a new covenant, there were people who could be saved in the old covenant. Because God said He would send His Son, that we are elect before the foundation of the world, that righteousness would be imputed to those who are under condemnation, to where He could glorify His namesake and raise Him high, there were people saved in the Old Testament by faith, not by keeping the law. And so, uh, God had provided this new covenant, and isn't it wonderful that He has? (laughs) Isn't it wonderful that He has provided the righteousness of Jesus Christ as my my covering? I'm I'm nobody, and... I'm a sinner. I came with dirty rags, my, my rags of sin. And I mean, I don't know if you all are, are like me in your life, but I mean, if it were not for Jesus' saving righteousness, there's nothing that I could provide God, that I could come up and say, Lord, I, I've done enough to, to make you happy. That is an ignorance of God's holiness. That's the ignorance of God's law. And, but he has provided, hasn't he? He provided himself, his own lamb. And that is what it is, is, uh, you know, people who believe that there's works and things that you have to do. I said this last week, that the law and religion based on works has an illusion, gives people an illusion of self-worth. It does. I mean, it'd be easy. I mean, you can think about it, relate with that. Because everything else we do in life, it produces a self-worth. Your job, your career, you mowing the grass, weed eating, planting flowers. Other things in your life, when you do them, you step back and look at your work and it infuses a self-worth somehow. But that is not so with the submission that comes of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We saw the difference between the publican and the Pharisee. The Pharisee was thanking God for making him somebody. And the publican fell down on his face and said, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. And so um, 
That's all the time we have for this morning. I, I pray the Lord's richly bless you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. We pray your blessings and your mighty hand upon each heart, each mind. I should be with Brother Hess and every heart. In Jesus' name, amen.